Hello, friends. I am your host, Jamie Wilson. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Miles Mancini. Miles, have you ever wondered what the humanities are all about? Um, I don't think anyone ever wonders that. Well, humor me. Humor me, friends. This week, we're going on a deep dive into music. Okay, so that's the dish that we're serving up. Yes. Okay, but before we do... Maybe we should say something about the name of our podcast. Sure. Um, it's explaining all the things. Okay. So when was the last time you had to explain something to someone? Uh, every day. Every day, all the time, especially to my small humans and husband. I have to explain all the things, particularly in case they forget all the things I told them the night before. That's fair. I think I'm often explained too. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm probably on the receiving end of it yes. at home. Yes. But that's why I love my professional life because I get to explain all the things to other people. So it makes sense, right? We do this in our personal lives all the time. Carries over to our professional, right? For sure. Okay. Friends, listen up as Miles and I start explaining all the things. Let's eat. Awesome. So if they listened to the first podcast, they remembered that we spoke about you being a musician. And, yes. And we are in your music studio yes, right now. Yes, sh- we should describe the environment. Uh, I don't know when the last time you were actually in this room, but yeah, this is my mu- my personal music studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for the record, I am wearing a 50s inspired headband. So yes. that's what I'm contributing to the conversation. I am not wearing anything <laughs> 50s related, um, but yeah. Well, we have a, um, is this a baby grand piano? This, this is a baby grand piano. This okay. was my dad's piano. And uh, yeah, I, I, I ended up uh, inheriting it, it this past year. And uh, yeah, I've been playing on it and teaching piano lessons on it. So the theme song was uh, arranged. Is that the right word? Arranged sure. by you? Composed, Composed arranged. Yeah, it's still, it's still a work in progress. It's yes. definitely been inspired by a few different podcasts out there. So I don't think I'm overtly ripping anyone off but you know we won't tell anyone who knows uh so we're going to talk today for today's episode about music and uh, our listeners uh have read some things about uh the 1950s music genre in particular yeah i was really excited about this theme into 1950s music because you know i don't I don't know all that much about. I know I'm the music guy, so it falls on me. You're to also like, the history guy. And the history guy. Right. But that's not an era of music that I spent a lot of time learning about uh, for various reasons. But, you know, I've taught a class on the Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, which is really more 1960s. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the 1970s. And then, of course, you and I are talking more about 80s, 90s, that sort of era of music for us. So the 50s was an interesting era to look back at. And my frame of reference was basically twofold. Uh, It was understanding the Beatles being influenced by 1950s music because that's what they were listening to and growing up hearing. Um, But also um, from my family, from my dad in particular, but not rock and roll. We focused on rock and roll with this theme, but the the music that my dad was involved with uh, was jazz. So I really knew more about jazz of that era, 40s, 50s, 60s, that sort of thing. So this was a pretty new theme for me. I love that you put together the podcast. I mean, sorry, not the podcast, the playlist from Spotify. Oh, yeah. Because 
because uh, I was playing it the other night when I was getting ready um, to make dinner for all of my humans. And uh, I have a big crush on Richie Valens from La Bamba. <laughs> Richie Valens, yes. <laughs> and uh, and if people were, were reading along... Um, uh, the NPR article uh, mm -hmm. and and also their own uh, show of the the theme and the reasons behind why Richie did the things that he did and uh, kind of his rise to fame. Right. Um, I just I just love him. Yeah. I it, this was a trip for me because I, I don't know. Do you remember the first time you saw the movie La Bamba? A long time ago. Yeah. So long time ago. I feel like that movie played on like HBO or something a lot mm -hmm. when we were younger because I remember seeing that movie a lot. And I also had a fear of flying. I thought you were going to say you also had a crush on a rookie. Richie <laughs> no, Valens. no I, did, I did not have a crush. <laughs> on, Lou Diamond Phillips maybe, but not Richie. No, uh, no I, I had that fear of flying from a very young age. And it was interesting seeing that in the movie, you know, that he also, you know, he had that. Of course he dies tragically. Mm -hmm. We know the story there. But to know that he was tormented by that accident, which was a real thing that right. wasn't just used for the movie, that right. wasn't just a dramatic effect. Hey, we're going to keep on showing this plane crash throughout the movie. It's what opens up the movie, right? Mm -hmm. um, seeing these two planes midair collide. And that part of the story where he was there, uh, he wasn't there that day at school. It ha happens over his, uh, I don't know if it's his middle school or elementary school, mm -hmm. but it happens over a school that he's at. And he just doesn't happen to be at that school that day because he is attending his grandfather's funeral so that part of the story uh that was not like creative license that was all mm -hmm. real mm -hmm. so i thought that was really fascinating and then of course he has that that terror those night terrors that he has with yeah. the flying and i never uh until honestly i've watched the movie i listened to the music uh for la bamba i did not know that he didn't speak spanish right yeah i think there's a there's a misconception right i mean we, we and okay can we back up for a second so what do we think about the casting of Lou Diamond Phillips? So Lou Diamond Phillips, this is his first like big role. He had some other minor roles, but this is his first lead role. And it made him a superstar. 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 He was in a bunch of movies after this in the 80s and early 90s. But this put him on the map. What did you think about him being cast? I, I loved it. Yeah. I did. I thought it was so good and so like generous um, of the way. It wasn't hokey. As yeah. sometimes some of these... Um, autobiographical uh, biography movies can be. It yeah. feels kind of cheesy. Yeah. And I don't think, I didn't feel like that. No. And so I was reading the story about his casting because I'm like, hmm. Now, my first instinct is like, I don't think, I don't think Lou Diamond Phillips has any Mexican heritage. I know. I know. I, I and know. I wasn't wrong, right? Right. He's, he's not, not. He's not. He's, he's not. not. He's actually Filipino American. Mm -hmm. Um, but what's interesting is, so he was uh, he was he was cast in the movie, or he auditioned for the movie, and he did not audition for Richie Valens. He was not cast hmm. as Richie Valens. The original character that he was cast for, do you know? No. He was cast as the brother. Oh, the brother, the brother that's the drunk and yeah. uh, you know abuses his girlfriend, wife, the whole deal. Um, yeah, he was cast as the bro brother. Bob Morales is the name of the character. Um, so he was cast as Bob and Luis Valdez, who's the director. And I should point out the director. Uh, you know, I love film. Yes. The director, he's a really important director in terms of Chicano filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so for those of you that may not be familiar with that term, we're talking about Mexican-Americans. And so Chicano films... That is a whole subgenre of film in itself. And Luis Valdez, who is, I believe, in his 80s now, um, and if 
you don't know him, well, you know him now because you watched the mm-hmm. movie La Bamba. But for those that maybe haven't seen La Bamba, uh, we know our listeners have definitely seen of La Bamba. Of course they have. Right? But anybody that's that's brand new and like, oh, I need to check, check out this La Bamba. Who's this Luis Valdez guy? He was most recently, actually, your kids probably have heard his voice in it, a movie. He was part of the voice talent in Coco. I don't oh, know if your kids saw Coco. Yes. I couldn't tell you which character. I just was looking at some of the things that he had been working on. That was, his, I think, his most recent thing was Coco. Hmm. Um, so he was a, he's he's been doing a lot of voice vo- voice talent mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But he started a theater company in California. Mm. And what I found interesting about Luis Valdez is I think there's a, and I'll bring this back to Lou Diamond Phillips in a second, but there's a cool connection between Luis Valdez, Richie Valens, and Lou Diamond Phillips. So the beginning of the movie starts off after we see the, the, the nightmare, the plane crash and all that kind of stuff starts off with the migrant workers, right? And and so and and I think for anyone listening in Florida, we understand that mm-hmm. culture as yes. well because that's part of here, mm-hmm. this part of Southwest Florida. Um, in California, they're showing you the migrant workers that are picking oranges. I think that's what it, most most of the migrant workers in that le- at least that were depicted in the film. And so that's actually Luis Valdez's story oh yeah so i don't know how much of that is true to richie valens mm-hmm. you know that right. i think was a, a little I th- embellishment i, maybe. I think that was an embellishment mm-hmm. because everything i've read i didn't read about migrant family mm-hmm. members that kind of thing in richie valens but that is Luis valdez mm. so he kind of saw his connection with with uh with richie valens in that way so then Luis valdez the director he decided he wanted to cast lou diamond phillips in the lead instead of Bob, he wanted to cast him as Richie. And so once he did that, because at first, from what I read, Lou Diamond Phillips was very like, I don't know, you know. Right. Yeah. But then he understood the story of Richie being this guy that's trying to make it, trying to get his big break. And he felt like that at the time, being a young actor, Mm -hmm. trying to make it, trying to get a role, trying to do all these things. And he felt very connected to Mm -hmm. that role. So much so. And I thought this was really cool, too. He became close to the Valens family. Oh. Yeah. And there's a a really powerful moment, because, of course, again, we know that Richie Valens dies tragically. The family was told uh, the scenes that they did at the, the, was it the, the airport in mm-hmm. Fargo or mm-hmm. whatever where mm-hmm. they you know plane takes the, the winter storm yes. yes they told the family not to come to shooting that day because they figured that would be really hard right. for his mom and all that kind of stuff well I guess uh, Richie Valens has a younger sister that she was 12 when he died and so she went to um to the filming that day didn't listen to the you know the warnings kind of thing and I guess she embraced Lou Diamond Phillips and just like there was this whole cathartic moment, like, uh, why did you get on the plane that day? You know, he mm-hmm. was Richie Valens mm-hmm. to her in mm-hmm. that moment, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and Lou Diamond Phillips said that was a really powerful experience. And I just thought, talking about the humanities, I, you know, this is this is the power of the humanities, yeah, right? He's connecting everything. He's playing this role, mm-hmm. and he's able to help this family member process all of her grief in that mm-hmm. moment, which I thought was cool. Yeah. I think the other um, area that the listeners have uh, submitted questions for us. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, one of the areas that uh, keep coming up and, um, and we'll talk about it brought like a little narrowed right now with La Bamba, but I think we can talk about on a greater scale as far as rock and roll. Sure. Um, is this idea of um, how did the success of this Mexican folk song, La Bamba, mm-hmm. how did this impact the representation of Latino artists in the music industry? And this is coming from a question submitted by listener Alan F. 
Cool. Well, Alan, that's an awesome question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've seen sort of the benefits of that, right? Yes. I mean, again, going back to how pretty shocking it was that Richie was, what was he, 17? Yeah, when not he, even 18, I don't he think. He wasn't even 18. Mm -hmm. I know he passed away when he was 17. Um, I don't know when he actually wrote the song itself or, or mm -hmm. you know, took the song over and made it a mainstream hit. He had to be pretty close to that age, 16, 17. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was such a hesitation as we read about in, in the mm -hmm. Arietta uh, article about, you know, I think it was the producer Keen, right? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if it was Bob Keen. Yes. Keen. Um, he, Driving and, his convertible. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, didn't want to, uh, didn't think, you know, having a Spanish language song would be a success you know that was the b-side mm -hmm. you know and again right. that's again speaks to the different medium we are not used to today right so back in the day you had singles you had 45s you had albums and if you released a single you always had like an a-side b-side right. right so you'd flip it over and right. the other side would be sort of the lesser right so it's it's kind of setting it up to the a-side is your good song right yeah. and your b yeah. is your kind of fallback song yeah. right and yeah. donna so donna's on donna. the donna's on the a-side yeah for sure la bomb is on the the b-side um, and it was kind of this breakaway hit, right? Yep, yep. Um, I love that in the um, NPR piece, they talk about how he was sick mm -hmm. during that. Right. Um, so probably you understand that as a musician, right? Um, and they didn't even kind of edit it out or cut it out because they didn't think it would it would even make it. Yeah, right. All the errors. Right. In that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm thinking now as I'm reading this and I'm um, thinking now about our, our question posed by Alan is, is representation as a whole did he pave the way? I say yes. Yeah, hundred percent. He yes. was a, he was a pioneer. Uh, you know, you, you know. I think I don't think anyone disputes that. Mm -hmm. uh, and and of course the producer too. I mean, to put it on an album, even if it's considered a B side. I mean, we may be saying, oh, look, they put it on B. They still put it out there, right? right? And they still recorded it. Uh, and I think it's also worth noting. You know, and I do want to give some credit. I don't know if uh, you know if any of our listeners out there are drummers, but I th feel like drummers don't always get. Uh, you know, credit where credit's due, mm -hmm. uh, especially in songwriting. Um, but, you know, a lot of our music is driven rhythmically. Right. And rock and roll is definitely an example of yes. that. You know, going back to the other side of things where we talk about the influences that shaped rock and roll. But the drummer um, for for that song and many others, Earl Palmer. Earl Palmer was was a really amazing drummer because he's on some of the biggest hits of the '50s. A lot of those songs that you hear, he's the guy that comes up with the beat. And the uh, same thing with with La Bamba. Yes, Richie Valens, you know, visualized and 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 understood to put the rock and roll rhythm to it as well in his guitar playing. But we shouldn't overlook the musicians that were there too, like Earl uh, Earl Palmer, who was there. Not to be confused with the other Palmer. Oh yes, for the Rolling Stone the, uh, yeah, the article. Rolling Stone article, right? Yes, <laughs> that's true. Uh, and and uh, so I was going through your playlist, and I was thinking about the questions that were posed to us, yeah. and lots of them had to do with representation. Oh really? And so I was really struck. Um, so I thought I would look at the playlist. Mm -hmm. I got out my handy dandy uh, guide, Google, <laughs> and um, out of the playlist, so you have we have fourteen artists on the playlist. Out of those, five of them had some sort of restrictions on them. Mm. So, what do you mean restrictions? So, voting restrictions, right? Language restrictions. Um, you you didn't have um, 
the the Voting Rights Access, the Civil Rights Act, um, Brown versus Board of Education was happening um, during this time. The Montgomery bus boycott, yeah. um, Castro's taking power in Cuba, right? So five of those 14 that are singing these hits that we're listening to and that we appreciate now um, were singing largely for an audiences that they didn't have equal access to things. Yeah, I think that's something that we... I think we don't really look at the 50s as being, and I believe Palmer said this, the, yes. the author Palmer said this. Not the drummer. Not the drummer. That we, uh, I believe it's Robert Palmer. Robert. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with Robert Palmer, musician. Yes. From, from, we looked from, that up. From the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah, we had a little tangent there. I'm like, is that the guy that wrote Addicted to Love, right? No, no, not the same guy. Um, but yeah, so, that, so I believe Robert Palmer in that article that we're referencing spoke about how the 50s isn't really viewed as this changing, you know, this time where there was social change happening and that the music reflected that. We often connect that to the 1960s. Right. And for sure, 100%, right? I mean, there's a lot of things happening in the 60s from, you know, where when the Civil Rights, uh, you know, Act gets signed into law in the mid-60s to leading up to that when we're talking about the Freedom Rides and Mm -hmm. we're talking about all those different things happening in the 60s into the late 60s with civil unrest. So for sure, the 60s are this revolutionary time, but the 50s are also this really revolutionary time because you have so many of these things that you just mentioned that are taking place, Mm -hmm. these landmark decisions in the Supreme Court. You have voting rights restrictions that are happening, and you have restrictions on so many people. What's so cool about rock and roll at this time is it's sort of this great equalizer, Right. right? It's it's. It's a voice for lots of marginalized groups, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, one particular group. It's a lot of different groups. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about Richie Valens. And of course, he is this pioneer for, you know, Mexican-American heritage and and bringing in Spanish speaking uh, music to the mainstream 100 percent. But you have other people, whether we even look at an Elvis, you know, and, and, you know, look at his beginnings mm-hmm. in terms of his socioeconomic class where he was living at the time when he was growing up uh, to people like Jerry Lee Lewis, or we look at Little Richard, or mm-hmm. we look at any of these individuals that their connection is through the music, the music that allows them to, to sort of voice their discontent, but it's not in a way that you, that is overt, right? It's, it's not, not in your face. It's right. not, it's not in your face in terms of the lyrics, but at that time it really was. Yes. I mean, that's why Elvis is getting in trouble when he's on TV shaking his hips, right. right? Which crazy that I never, this never occurred to me, but when I was reading Palmer's article in preparation for the work we're doing and Palmer mentions Elvis rhyming with pelvis Right. What? Yeah. I was like, this is brand new information. <laughs> I it never dawned on me yeah. that that was the gyration of his pelvis yeah. and Elvis. Yes. Uh, and well, how about the name itself? I thought that yes. was pretty interesting too. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. We don't look at that. We think again, the 1950s. We're like, oh, it's so nice. Everybody in their like poodle skirts, and everybody's like nice. Mm-mm. And 50s is sort of this. We have this weird version. If you weren't of that time, like which you and I were, no. were not of that time. I'm sure the, uh, many of our listeners were not necessarily of that time. So we have this weird vision of what the 1950s may have looked like. Right. And we don't think of it as being like obscene. We don't think, but, but to people, I would imagine parents in the fifties, if you were in your fifties or your sixties or your forties back in the 1950s and you hear this term rock and roll Mm -hmm. 
And you're not even, you don't understand where that comes from. It's this brand new term. And then to find out that it's slang for having sex, yeah. like, whoa. And yeah, that's what the, uh, Palmer says is like parents didn't know, but all the parents teenagers with the money in their pockets. Did. And we still see that happening today, yes. right? I mean, this has evolved today. Yeah, lots and lots of listener questions about those as well, because a lot of uh, people wanted to make the um, kind of connection is rock and roll to the 50s as rap is to our lives. And mm. I will be the first to tell you that the music that my teenagers listen to, I just don't get it. Um, it, it's not even necessarily rap. I think it's just, you know, I, that meme is going around like people in our age group. I really like the supermarket bops. Like I'm, I'm really in, I'm really into the, those types of songs. And so, um, my, when I think about the fifties, you, you know what movie I think of? I think of back to the future. And so sure. it's that yeah. theme that I think of. And Palmer says it in his, uh, his writing for the Rolling Stone. He said, um, this, uh, I think he's talking about, um, little Richard, I think for this. And he says yeah. this thin yeah, black sure. yeah. body with yeah. these gyrating white girls fawning over him. Sure. And, and we can think about artists today that have that same effect on them. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And Little Richard is this great example. And he was one of many guys. He's just the guy that we all know. He's the one who had the the most success. Um, but that way of performing that he was you know, known for, he was not exclusive to that. He wasn't the only guy that was doing that. There were whole shows and whole circuits where guys mm-hmm. would go out and perform the way he did. And when we talk about even things like uh, when we talk about androgyny, you mm-hmm. know, or we talk about, you know, when we're talking about gender today, mm-hmm. well, like it's something new. It, it, it's not, you right. know, I mean, Little Richard is a great example of someone who really challenged gender norms, especially with the clothing they wear. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look up Little Richard performances on YouTube, you're going to see, you're like, what? The like, what's going on here? Like the, the way he moves, mm-hmm. him getting naked, you know, from the way he dresses, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about today, like Harry Styles wearing, you know, some, some big onesie suit or something like that, that's all glittery. And everybody's like, whoa, look at right. him. He's so revolutionary. So innovative. No, Little Richard was doing that back in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Like that, and, and people as imagine, a black man, yeah, as a black man, which exactly. is crazy, right? Hundred percent. Um, yeah. so Chelsea M and Max H have similar questions. Their their thought is, um, how did we see the rise of rock and roll with the larger shifts and movements happening in society? So we kind of already talked about that, but I think it's important to kind of give you an overview of the the fact that um. It's not isolated. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. It builds on everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, all of this builds from... And that's why you have all these guys that, that you know, Palmer gives credit to with the evolution of rock and roll, whether it be somebody like Fats Domino, uh, whether it be any of these guys, R&B, jazz, that kind of led to, uh, to rock and roll. And then rock and roll being a catch-all for so many different musicians. It was a, an access point for a lot of diverse perspectives to be able to, mm-hmm. to make music and, and, and challenge some of the societal norms that were going on at that time. So you could have, and again, going back to La Bamba, kind of where we started, you know, you see in the movie, uh, especially the, and this was true to life as well, you know, when Richie's dating, it's Donna, right? Mm-hmm. He's dating Donna. Um, the dad is not, you know, supportive right, of that. Right. And uh, to the point where, I mean, that, that, that didn't change. That didn't change, you know, even when he had a hit song, even when he becomes this like super popular mm-hmm. rock star, um, the family. The acceptance wasn't there. No, no, it definitely didn't. But 
I think when you have artists like that that are challenging what's going on at the time and challenging what we view as the norm, um, you know, that's that's where we see some of those societal changes mm-hmm. happening. And all those guys get credit for that, whether it be the people like Richie Valens or Little Richard, you know, they're the guys that they are the pioneers mm-hmm. that we that we are seeing the changes that we've seen for today. Right. You know, and I don't know if we see that the same way today. I think that's what frustrates older people with music, because, again, if you look at the diversity of those artists that were even on our playlist, it, sure, we have a lot of diversity today, but there's very much niche audiences that are listening to just their particular just their artist, area. their music. I, I tend to kind of think about Lin-Manuel Miranda when I think about Richie Valens and I think about what he did for Broadway and ultimately um, movies and the music scene and really pushed the envelope. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's this idea that you're challenging the norms of what you saw before. Uh, and so when you think about people who've done that, even Elvis, right, even those types of people who um, were breaking some stereotypes, uh, I think that's what's really cool about music and that uh, even though most of our listeners are probably in the age group that um, their parents are probably not even listening to the 1950s, I'm going to assume that, sure. yeah. right? Um, I read one of the comments from one of our listeners that said, uh, I can't wait to learn about the old times of the 80s. <laughs> the old times. Yeah. So um, I think overall, I, I I think that music has power. Yeah. Music was influence and influence social events. 100%. And that we really want to think about how the humanities and our perspectives of the humanities shape our viewpoints. Absolutely. That's that's great. And I'm just going to add from the musical perspective here, um, and I'm glad you didn't ask me to play anything today mm-hmm. other, than, other than our intro. Uh, the, from the musical perspective, when I put together music for the bands I play in, I will tell you that I can always always fall back on the success of the 50s music. So there's a few songs that I put in a playlist um, in, in my set lists when I'm playing with bands, everything from Great Balls of Fire to um, uh, Jailhouse Rock to a whole lot of shaking going on to Johnny Be Good, you know, everything from Chuck Berry to Jerry Lee Lewis. Those songs get a reaction from everybody. Every age, no matter what. You have what. little kids that are dancing. Mm-hmm. You have little old ladies that are dancing, you have everything in between. It mm-hmm. gets everybody up and moving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a testament to the power of that era yeah. of music that you can get generations now to generations from years and years past. Yeah. Awesome. This well, was fun. This was fun. Are you going to play us out uh, guess, on our, on our last uh, time before yes, we leave? I'm going to play us out with our new theme song that I hope I didn't rip off from anybody. <laughs> Take it away.